1: Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com.
2: Here's a good idea. Have a point. It makes it so much more interesting for the listener. And welcome to At your service. Brad Young in with you tonight until. Oh, it's about 10 o'clock, so thanks for staying up with us here on Camo X. We have a good time on Wednesday nights. I usually get a lot of texts. Uh, I've got no interviews this evening. I've got lots to talk about, but if there's something on your mind, the call, uh, call at any time. Phone lines are open. Text line is open. Both numbers are the same, 314-436-7900. And that, that's the reason why I do this show. Because think about any other, any other medium that you like to listen to or to watch, whether it's television, podcasts, streaming, sporting events, and name it. Anything that you have an interest in in terms of entertainment value, it's not participatory on your part. You're the, you are the audience, not the participant. But what I love about radio I've always loved this. There's no other medium like it, is that you get to not only be the audience, but you get to be the participant, whether that's through texting or calling or sending me an email. Uh, you get to be a part of this show, and that's the reason why I do this. I'm, I'm not doing it because I need another job. My, I'm pretty busy at my law firm during the day, but I do this because I get to interact with the smartest audience in radio. And that's KMOX. So if you've got something you want to talk about tonight, whether it's what I'm discussing or anything else, give us a call or text 314-436-7900. Also, I get a lot of emails during the week. And I was off last week because of of, uh, Billiken's basketball, but I get a lot of emails. If you ever want to send me an email either tonight, tomorrow, at any time, I respond to every email. My email address is byoung. That's b. The letter B, Y-O-U-N-G, at harrisdowell.com, H-A-R-R-I-S as in Sam, D as in David, O-W-E-L-L.com. So earlier, we we all saw the snow here in the St. Louis area, and it reminded me, I've told this story before, it's been a long time, but it reminded me, when I was in high school, small town, southern Illinois about two hours east of St. Louis, over south of Mount Vernon, Illinois. Little town, 5,000 people. This is before Al Gore invented the Internet. This is before streaming. Uh, It was before, uh, and this town doesn't have a television station. So literally for kids going to school, kindergarten through high school, the only way that you would know whether there is school the next day or not The only way you would know is by listening to the hometown radio station. You've heard how KMOX is 50,000 watts. Well, my hometown radio station was 5,000 watts. So if you're using a hairdryer in the morning, when you get out of the shower, that hairdryer's got either the same or more wattage than the radio station I worked at when I was in high school. So I'm working there one night. It's only me and the whole building. Snow is starting to fall. And again, what would happen is, is that people would start to listen because the the superintendent of schools would call in to the station, whoever's working, and say, hey, look, we're going to call off school tomorrow or we're not going to call off school tomorrow. So one night I'm at the station, it's getting kind of late in the evening and I'm working and I'm expecting the phone to ring and it doesn't ring. And suddenly the, this overwhelming sense of temptation came across me. And I thought, right now, even though the superintendent of schools hasn't called, if I went on the radio right now and said, schools canceled for tomorrow because of snow, there would be literally no school the next day. Literally no school. And what goes through my head was that, that sense of power. uh, Because you can understand why I had that, that feeling of power, because for a day, listen, I would have been the coolest guy in school because I could have single handedly canceled school the next day. And so after wrestling with this temptation, probably longer than Adam and Eve wrestled with whether to eat the fruit or not, I, um, I came to the conclusion that I should not do it. So I, uh, to use the phrase I yielded not to temptation and I decided not to uh, not to arbitrarily and capriciously cancel school the next day. But uh, you know I, I I know to this day I would have been a hero had that had that happened but I didn't do it. So I just thought about that today as the snow started to fall. It reminded me of the day I almost canceled school, of course I would have been fired. Uh, and uh, probably would have been suspended from school as well. So I'm glad in retrospect that I did not do it. Hey, we're going to take a break here. When we come back, uh, we are going to talk about, you know I don't spend a lot of time talking about Trump because I like to talk about ideas, not personalities. And you can turn on any radio station in America and hear people say, I love Trump, I hate Trump. You'll never hear that from my show, one way or the other. Because I talk about ideas, because ideas have the power to change the world, and uh, people generally are only manifestations of ideas. And so I'm I'm not going to to talk about Trump, and that's why I don't talk about him very much. But it is an idea about whether this man can be kept off the ballot, and it's an idea that will be going to the Supreme Court. So we'll we'll break that down. We'll also talk about some polling data about how younger Americans look uh, at the state of Israel and the current crisis in the Middle East. We're going to look at uh, New York threatening to shut down Chick-fil-A and also the McCloskey's guns. Do they get them back or do they not get them back? And we've got so much more to talk about tonight and would love you to participate. 314-436-7900 on the voice of St. Louis. Brad Young, at your service. Don't go away.
0: (sighs) Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders
2: while supplies last.
0: Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
2: You know, I mentioned before that uh, Kim Wex has the smartest listeners in radio. And here's a great example. Um, during the break, I got a bunch of texts and I was responding to some of the texts. And and one of them, somebody texted in and said, said, I love Trump. And I wrote back and I said, a lot of people do. In this segment, I'll be discussing whether he should or should not be kept off the ballot. And uh, this uh, person texted me back and said, I know, but I was hoping you would read it on the air so I could say, quote, I did hear you. I did hear that on your show. So see, he was he, he was a chess player. He's trying to trick me into saying I love Trump. Uh, <laughs> so see, you get, yeah, I tell this to folks uh, in my office, attorneys at my office, even when they're wrong, I say, yeah, you're wrong, but you get an A-plus for creative lawyering. And so, yes, that was a creative arguing. So, uh, yes, you get an A-plus on that. So one of the things I wanted to talk about was last week, and that's the one downside to doing a show once a week because stuff happens and sometimes it takes a few days for me to get a chance to talk about it. And, uh, and so I've been watching the news since the Colorado Supreme Court issued their decision late last week stating that Trump could be kept off the ballot in the state of Colorado. And what's interesting is, is that the analysis that I formulated when I was reading the decision and thinking about it, I, I haven't heard this kind of analysis anywhere. So uh, so that's good. So by listening to X, you're going to hear stuff here uh, that you don't hear anywhere else. Now, it may or may not come to pass, but uh, I've got a pretty good track record when it comes to predicting legal outcomes. And so I'll it's certainly better than my uh, my my track record at picking the outcome of football games or baseball games, that's for sure. But here's exactly what they did. The Colorado Supreme Court said last week that under the 14th Amendment, Section 3, there's the insurrection clause. We've all heard about it. I don't need to go into great deal about it with you. But under that, the, the decision was by the Colorado Supreme Court that Trump engaged in insurrection. And therefore, under that amendment, he is kept off the ballot. Now, what's interesting is, is that just today, the Michigan Supreme Court rejected the insurrection ban in, with the exact same fact pattern that Colorado had. So, there's no new evidence. It's, they're, they're looking at all the same evidence. They're looking at the exact same Constitution. They're looking at the exact same insurrection clause. And in that, the Colorado court ruled one way, and the Michigan Supreme Court ruled the exact opposite way. So you have these contradictory opinions from two different state Supreme Courts. And for this, in, in addition to numerous other reasons, the Supreme Court will have to take this case. There's no question. Now, the statistics on Supreme Court cases, and we may not, in the, in the as you watch the, the, or really absorb the traditional media, this isn't something that's discussed very often, but about uh, 7,000, 8,000, 9,000 cases are appealed to the Supreme Court every year. That's a lot of cases. That's a lot of legal work. And out of that, somewhere just under 10,000 cases a year, the Supreme Court takes about 100. So the chances of you getting heard at the Supreme Court level are extremely slim. But obviously, cases that have national importance do get picked. And this is certainly one of them. And one of the criteria that the Supreme Court uses to take cases is, is there a dispute among the states or is there a dispute among the federal court districts about how something in the Constitution is interpreted or applied? And so here you have your classic example of Colorado says, under the 14th Amendment, Section 3, Trump's an insurrectionist, therefore he's to be kept off the ballot. And the Michigan Supreme Court reaches the exact opposite conclusion, 180 degrees different. So this would be that classic case where states are in disagreement and an appeal will have to go and be heard by the Supreme Court. And right now, I counted up at one point, and I'm not sure that, that it's, it's the same number now, but at one point last week, there were 22 states Where this attempt to get Trump removed from the ballot was pending. Arizona, California, Maine, Michigan, they just decided today. Minnesota has already recently decided. Rhode Island, Alaska, Nevada, New Jersey, New Mexico, New York, Oregon, South Carolina, Texas, West Virginia, Wisconsin, Wyoming, Vermont, Virginia, and I think I'm missing a few. But there are a lot of states that are considering keeping Trump off the ballot. And it's going to come down to what does the pre- Supreme Court say? And regardless of which side of the issue the Supreme Court falls on this point, and I'm going to go through some of these legal points with you, I wish that they and I hope that they would re- create and be able to come to a unanimous decision. Because if you think about the, the divisiveness in our country now is sky high. It truly is. And the right hates the left. The left hates the Right. The right hates the the populists. The left hates the progressives. I mean, there's a lot of divisiveness going on. So within that divisiveness, we need to at least agree on one thing. Can a person be kept off the ballot? Can that happen? And conceptually, now these aren't the legal points, but conceptually, I'll tell you exactly how I come down on it. Our country is a democracy the 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 preeminent speech or rather the preeminent right that we have is freedom of speech and supreme court has issued numerous countless decisions talking about the importance of freedom of speech and the manifestation of that freedom of speech and there is no area where the manifestation of freedom of speech is more um, uh, crystallized than in whom you vote for for office. Whether that's Trump or whether that's Biden or whether it's with Robert F. Kennedy or whether it's anyone. When Ross Perot ran for office, I mean, whoever it is, it doesn't matter. But the preeminent manifestation of your freedom of speech is deciding whom you're going to vote for more than just about anything else. I mean, if you can go out on a street corner and say something about who you want to vote for, how much more powerful might that be when you actually, well, actualize that speech and turn it into the action known as voting? So from just a conceptual viewpoint, to me, there is nothing more anti-democratic than a group of unelected judges State court judges who have not been elected to any office by any vote of the people, they're appointed to office. Now, they might run for retention, but they don't run for office. They're appointed. And for those non-elected people to tell the people of Colorado whom they can and whom they cannot vote for, to me, there's nothing, nothing in this country that's more anti-democratic than that. I'm not talking about something that favors Trump or goes against Trump. Trump is irrelevant in this analysis because it doesn't matter who that individual is. We as Americans have the right to vote for our leaders and to have someone tell us you cannot and you're not going to be allowed to vote for an individual. That kind of sounds like Russia to me. That kind of sounds like some uh, banana republic in, in Central America where the leader gets 110% of the vote. That's what that sounds like to me, where we're not even going to allow you to vote for someone. So it has nothing to do with Trump individually. It has everything to do with the concept of an election generally. Now, having said that, there's a couple of points that I know are going to come up on appeal, and before I dive into that, I want to take a break right now. We got some folks calling in. We'll take your calls and then go through these points. Thanks for listening to Campbell X on At Your Service. Don't go away. Welcome back to At Your Service, KMOX. Brad Young sitting in here this evening, and uh, we're talking about Trump. About not Trump. You like him or do you not like him? But should he be kept off the ballot in Colorado? Or in any other state in the United States, three one four four three six seventy nine hundred. Call or text. Uh, Ed's been holding through the break. Hey, Ed, welcome to CamelX.
3: Thank you. Let me come at this through a, a side door, maybe a, a little different umbrella. I've been kind of logging encroachments on just the people and citizens' power and strength to do anything, and it is extremely alarming. And the the collaborations are between politicians of both parties. They're between uh, segments of the population. They're between money people and non-money people. And this is an example of, okay, overreach, whatever you want to call it. Uh, So who can we depend on? Which branch of government can, can we depend on right now?
2: Oh, man, Ed, what a great question. Well, let's just break it down. Because as you look at Congress, Congress is... At at this point, Congress is functionally irrelevant uh, because of the, again, the polarization that we talked about. Uh, I've long said that, Ed, the best thing that this country ever had was the proverbial smoke filled back rooms. Mm -hmm. Okay. I liked those. Why? Because compromise is how things are accomplished. Whenever I'm in court, all right, I'm going to argue my position. But at the end of the day, if it's all or nothing, Uh, That that's a difficult choice to make, and compromises can benefit more than one party or more than one party in a lawsuit or more than one political party. So the smoke-filled back rooms were areas of compromise. Today, you've got both Republicans, Democrats, MAGA, and progressives who think that defeat is more important when they don't give an inch than making a compromise for an incremental benefit. So because of that, Congress is irrelevant. Let's look at the executive branch. The executive branch is so enormous and unruly and overwhelming with the bureaucratic state that it effectively nullifies much of our votes because the bureaucratic state in of itself accomplishes what the bureaucratic state wants to accomplish without input or oversight from the voters. Uh, And then you've got the courts and the courts are unelected. So at that point, there is no context with the people. So, Ed, I'm, I, I'm giving a very long-winded answer to what I'm sure was your point, which is at, at this stage of uh, of the American democracy experiment, we don't have a lot of say in anything.
3: The, uh, the other point I'd like to leave with you, if I may, is that years ago they came out of these smoke-filled rooms and both party leaders would come before the people and say— we have agreed on this, and this is our direction. We don't, we don't see that anymore.
2: No, we don't, and, and, and we're the worse off for it. I, I, I mean, at this point, you've got so, many, so much money in government, uh, so much money in politics, that uh, for a politician to compromise, to even incrementally improve something, goes against his or her own best interest if they're in the fundraising business. Because then the people that they're raising money from are saying, well, you're a rhino, you're a dino, you're a whatever, and we're not going to give you money. And don't you think, Ed, that that hurts us as a people group? And when I say people group, I mean Americans, all of us. Doesn't that hurt us as a people group? Oh, well, sorry, we lost you, Ed. But thanks for calling in. Uh, Appreciate that. Yeah, those darn cell phones. But the, the point I was making with Ed was that we're worse off for it. And let me give you a great example. When you've got, whether it's environmental bills in Congress that are pushing a green agenda, which I personally disagree with, uh, or if you look at it on the other side, if you've got issues that are being pushed by the, by the MAGA crowd, such as pulling us out of NATO, which I also disagree with, regardless of those positions, we're worse off as a nation whenever there's this idea that, that nothing is better than something. And that's just not how things get accomplished. It truly isn't. And I'm disappointed that those days are no longer with us. Talking about the Trump situation, breaking this down, when this gets appealed, and it will be appealed, Trump will appeal it to the Supreme Court. When he does that, as far as I can tell, there's going to be three main issues on appeal. Three main issues. First, and, and, and you once I clue you in on this, you're going to see maybe some of this repeated in the mainstream media, but not a lot of it. But three, three issues. Number, and these aren't—I'm not giving you deep-dive uh, law school gobbledygook. I'm, I'm, I'm giving it to you straight. First, if you look at Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, it specifically only applies to individuals who were in, in these categories. Number one— Members of Congress, number two, an officer of the United States, or number three, state officials. Only those three groups. So the president isn't a member of Congress, and the president isn't a state official. So the question is, is the president an officer of the United States? Now, there are Supreme Court cases. Uh, I could cite them for you. I know them. I've got them in front of me. I'm not going to bore you with that. But just trust me that there are Supreme Court cases that define In appellate court cases that define what is an officer in this uh, 14th Amendment to the Constitution. And most of the court cases say an officer does not include the president or the vice president. So if the president is not considered an officer under the 14th Amendment, then the insurrection clause cannot be used to keep Trump off the ballot. That's the first issue on appeal. The second issue on appeal is that no federal court has even convicted Trump of engaging in insurrection or rebellion. If you look at the Trump's got like 94 charges pending against him. And as I sit here tonight, as I've said many times right here on Camel X, Trump will be convicted of something. Uh, most likely the charges related to the obstruction of justice with the documents coming out of Mar-a-Lago and storing the documents and instructing his attorneys and instructing other members of his team to hide and to not produce the documents that were required to be produced by a subpoena, he will be convicted of that. It will happen. That's not a prediction. I think that's almost rises to the level of a guarantee. But he's never been charged with, quote, insurrection, unquote. He's never been charged with that. Not in any of the myriad of court filings. He's never been charged with insurrection. So can can a state court keep a person off a ballot for doing something that they've not been convicted of doing? Can they do that? That's a good question. And thirdly, and this is the part I haven't heard anywhere. So... Um, it kind of troubles me a little bit that I've got I've got this legal theory that that I'm not seeing repeated in the mainstream media, and I will tell you it concerns me. I think, well, am I off? But here's the thing: if you go right now, look on your phone, get your pocket copy of the Constitution. Under the Fourteenth Amendment, Section Three, it specifically states that the Insurrection Clause can be removed by a two-thirds vote of Congress, there is no other part of the Constitution that says that something can be removed by a vote of Congress. Doesn't say that anywhere. I mean, you could—there's been, like, the, the, the Prohibition Amendment was, was revoked, but that's going through the amendment process. Other than the amendment process, there's no other part of the Constitution that says you can remove part of it by a vote of Congress. But this does. And if you look at the Amnesty Acts of 1872 and 1898, that's exactly what Congress did. They voted to rescind the application of Section 3 Insurrection Clause of the 14th Amendment. So if Congress has already congressionally removed the application of the Insurrection Clause, how can it be used here? And so those are the three main points that I believe the Supreme Court will be looking at when it looks at whether or not Trump can be kept off the ballot. And then there's the other issue, which is a much more general issue, of whether a state court, any state court, can keep someone off the ballot in a federal election? That's a great question, too, that we simply, we simply don't know the answer to that because we've never dealt with this issue of can courts arbitrarily and capriciously keep people off the ballot because they simply want to have them off the ballot? That's a... Uh, that's just a situation we've not been in before. And so I hope that the Supreme Court rules with one voice, even if it goes against what I think here. I'm not saying that the Supreme Court should should um, validate my legal theories. I'm not suggesting that. But even if the court disagrees with me and says that he can be kept off the ballot, I would hope that it would be done by a unanimous vote because in in these waters— of divisiveness. We need a life raft from the Supreme Court on this issue, to speak with one voice, to say one way or the other, so that it doesn't in turn create more divisiveness. That is certainly my hope. I had a one person, we got a lot of texts this evening, and I always reply to texts during the break. I had one person text in and said, uh, Mr. Young, hosting the show is is like the highlight of my week. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. And um, and I can certainly promise you that when you hear me on Camel X, it's worth everything that you pay to hear it. Of course, free. That's anyway, that's that's the joke part. That's the joke part. But uh, uh, but yeah, we'll see. It looks like from a time perspective, Trump needs to file his appeal before January 4. So look for that appeal by the end of this week or the beginning of next week. Uh, for procedural reasons having to do in Colorado that aren't that interesting. But look for that that appeal to happen between now and uh, January 4th. But as you hear, as you hear analysis, whether it's from pundits on TV or other folks on radio, or you read uh, uh, op-ed pieces in newspapers, as you read them, here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at the tone of what it is that you're reading. Because as you've heard my analysis over the last 10 minutes or so, my analysis had nothing to do with the personages or the uh, the person of Donald Trump. It wasn't an attack on him personally. I'm not cheerleading for him. It was analysis based upon the ideas of democracy and the ideas of fairness, not whether you like Trump or hate Trump. But as you read analysis, as you read analysis about this, I want you to think for yourself, what is the bias of the person I'm reading? Because I bet you that most of the stuff, and I know this because it's what occurs to me, that when people are asserting an opinion on this, it's generally because either they hate Trump or they love Trump. It has nothing to do with the uh, the non-biased analysis, like what I've tried to lay out here in the last few minutes. We had another person who texted in and said, if Trump to be convicted, Ray, documents, what about Biden and his question mark? Plus, I'm assuming that means his documents. Let me clarify that before we go to the break. Because if you look at it, it's not the it's not the keeping of the documents that's going to get Trump arrested or convicted. Just like Biden keeping documents next to his Corvette in his garage. That happens all the time. Presidents have done it. Secretaries of state have done it. Vice presidents have done it. It's not new. And uh, except for Sandy Berger, who was the national security advisor for Clinton during the 90s. No one, to the best of my knowledge, or I'm sure that someone has, but no high-ranking officials have ever been convicted of this. But what makes Trump different is this point legally. That when it was discovered that he had some documents or might have some documents, he was sent federal subpoenas to produce what he had. And when he received those subpoenas, he instructed his legal team and his employees to uh, to not cooperate with the subpoena, to hide documents, to not produce the documents, and to uh, to go against the requirements of the subpoena. Biden hasn't done that. He gave up the documents that he had. Uh, Vice President Pence had documents. When it was pointed out, he gave them up. If Trump would have simply given up the documents, I don't think he would have any legal problems right now uh, at Mar-a-Lago or in South Florida. None. Because no one's ever been convicted of this other than Sandy Berger, who snuck into the National Archives, stuffed documents down his pants, uh, and then tried to get out with them. Uh, and then he only got convicted of a misdemeanor. So it's not that big a deal, but but lying and refusing to comply with a subpoena, that's called obstruction of justice, and that's a big deal. So that's the difference between the Biden documents and the Trump documents. What do you think should happen? Should Trump be kept off the ballot? Should Should the 14th Amendment apply, and should he be labeled an insurrectionist and we don't get the choice to vote? Or... In the interest of democracy, should Trump be allowed to be on the ballot so that we preserve that most precious power of exercising our speech in terms of voting? What say you? 314-436-7900. Call or text. Would love to hear your ideas on this subject because that's what at your service is all about. We'll be right back. Welcome back to At Your Service. Brad Young and I, I don't know where the first hour went. It just seems like the show started and bang, we're coming up here at the end of the first hour. Uh, thanks for being part of the show. I've had lots of texts. In fact, <clears throat> I've been typing so much, I think I'm getting carpal tunnel. So uh, <laughs> I'm not. But uh, uh, I love the participatory nature of this show. And Jim is part of that. Hey, Jim, welcome to Camo X. Hello, Jim. Yes. Hey, there you are. What's going on, sir? Uh, not much. I just think that uh,
3: Trump's not uh, presidential material. He's a failed businessman.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: He's got no values as far as morals or anything like that. He just could care less. That's all, it's all about him and the money, you know?
2: Yeah, and on all those points, Jim, personally... I would tell you, I agree with you. I mean, I'm a very strong conservative, but when I look at Trump, he's not a conservative. He's a populist. Um, I'm a Christian, and he certainly doesn't have Christian values. If you look at his personal life, his professional life, his business life, I don't see Christian values there. But the question isn't whether I like him or not, but do you think that a court should prevent people from voting for him if they want to do so?
3: (laughs) Well, they got the Insurrection Act, whether they nailed him for it or not. But, I mean, it's quite obvious. Nobody else in the past has done anything like that.
2: Okay, so so putting everything into a blender, your your view on this is even though you don't like him, but even that putting that aside, he should not be allowed to be on the ballot. Right. Okay. Well, Jim, I appreciate you calling in, sir. Thank you.
3: All right. Thank you. Have a nice
2: holiday. You too, sir. Thanks for listening tonight. Uh-huh. Bye. And and that's a good example. And I I appreciate Jim's honesty because a lot of times I get uh, I hear from listeners who email me and they say, you know, Brad, I was going to call in but I was afraid you were going to argue with me and call me an idiot. Well, I, I don't <laughs> I don't call anybody an idiot uh, except maybe some people I went to high school with. But that's a whole nother story. But uh, if you disagree with me, that's fine. This is the quintessential marketplace of ideas. This is where ideas come to a head. Jim called. I asked him a couple of questions. Uh, I disagree with him, but we could agree to disagree, and we could do it amicably. And, and don't you wish in your heart of hearts that that's how things would should work in Washington, that that's how things should work in Jefferson City or in Springfield, Illinois, that that when people disagree, that we lay out our, our ideas, we make our point, and if the other side isn't convinced, you don't then label them an idiot and a moron because they disagree with you. That's, And I know that that's, that, that's really popular today, but I got to tell you, I don't think it's effective. I don't think that we as the recipients of government action, and we are, every person listening is a recipient of government action, whether it's how our tax policies are based or whether we, can, we are allowed to buy natural gas stoves or not. Every single person in this country is affected by government policy. And yet when our leaders are debating what policies should or should not be enacted, I really don't appreciate when leaders call each other names. I, I don't. I don't appreciate that. There was something I saw. This was years ago. I believe it was in Taiwan, and this would have been in the '80s, maybe the '90s. But there was there was an argument on the floor of Parliament, and I believe it was in Taiwan, and the 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 two the two members of Parliament. Got so angry that they started a fist fight on the floor of Congress. And <laughs> and to me, and to me, I, I thought, you know, do we really don't want our our leaders getting into a a beer brawl, a pub brawl on the floor of Congress? And yet that's so much what it seems like today. And I, I don't appreciate that. I don't appreciate that at all. And one person just texted in and said, why can't they give us better candidates? And you know what? That's a great question. That's a great question. And if you've ever known anyone, I, I, I've been approached to run for office before, uh, and I said no, no, thank you very much, because who would want to go through that? I mean, to be to be a politician in general today, or to be a to be running for president in in particular, you kind of have to be a narcissist, don't you? Uh, you can't. It's really hard to say I'm out for the best interests of our country when it's really all about me, me, me. So here's a great question. I've only got about a minute left, but here's a great question that someone just texted in. If Trump is not on the ballot, can't we still vote for him as a write-in vote? That's a fantastic question. If you look at—if you interpret the 14th Amendment, Section 3, Insurrection Clause, if you interpret that— in, uh, in the meaning in which it was written, then a write-in ballot would not be allowed either because a write-in ballot is simply another form of having someone elected to office. So in other words, if you look at that insurrection clause, it doesn't just remove them from the ballot. It makes that person ineligible to hold office. And that's different. So even if even if millions of people would write in and say, we want Trump as president, if the Supreme Court holds that that he is an insurrectionist and therefore uh, he's in, ineligible for office under the 14th Amendment, if that were to happen, then not even a write-in ballot would be sufficient because he would be held ineligible. Hey, we're going to take a break here. When we come back, we've got more at your service for another hour. Lots of stories. And I've only gotten to two stories, and I've got a ton of things to get to in the next hour. And uh, and it all works better when you're a part of the show. 314-436-7900. We'll be back after this. Stick around on The Voice of St. Louis.
0: (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal. So why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com?